0: we are preaching a series through Paul's letter to the Corinthians that we've entitled equipping the saints equipping the saints to equip the saints for the work of ministry and that that work of ministry is God's work it's his work through us among us his work in us and for our to participate with the lord right to be the saints, we have to constantly equip one another for the work that God has put before us. So it's to that end, to that hope, that we would be building up the body of Christ that I invite you to attend these words with me. This is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the end of the first chapter. First Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 31. For considering, brothers and sisters, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, and God chose what is lies in the world even things that are not. To bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Lord, make it so. Lord, make it so. Friends, our contention this morning is going to be this. If you desire to be exalted with Christ, then you must be humiliated with Christ. If we want to be exalted by Christ, you must let yourself be humiliated by Christ. Christ. There is no other way but Christ and him crucified. There is no other entering the kingdom of heaven. There is no uniting with Christ. There is no hope in salvation save by humility. And so for the saints to be equipped for the work of God's humbling ministry, we must be humbled for the sake of the humble. And to start, I wanna read a quote that actually comes from addiction recovery literature. It says this, humility is honest, accurate, self-perception. Humility is seeing ourselves right-sized as Pastor Warren talked about last week, that's not in the quote, I'm just referencing that, rightly proportioned to God and to our fellows. Humility is a clear recognition of who and what we really are, followed by a sincere attempt to become what we could Therefore, our first practical move towards humility must consist of recognizing our deficiencies. No defect can be corrected unless we clearly see what it is. Thinking highly or lowly of ourselves is a form of pride and fear, and humility is the opposite of them both. An honest clear recognition of who and what we really are followed by a sincere attempt to become what we could. In other words, in Paul's words, verse 26, consider your calling. Consider your calling. The word is look. 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 Take a good look, friends. That's the word. Take a good, honest look at your calling. Take a good, honest look at God and at ourselves, both individually and corporately, for it is critical for humility to be honest. It is critical for humility to be honest, and so it's critical for our cooperation with God. I want you to notice our calling. For there to be a calling, there does have to be a called. But there primarily has to be a caller, right? There's no calling without a caller. And our caller is God. It is God who calls. That's going to be key here, okay? Y'all did not choose me, the Lord Jesus said, but I have chosen you that you might go and bear much fruit. It is the God who is gonna be the primary actor through this passage. And so it's important that we start and recognize this. The calling is from God to us. And also to have a calling, you, you don't just have to have one who's calling, the caller, and you don't have to have just one who's called, but there's also time and space involved, right? Okay, like if I told Buck to come up here, he's gonna have to start from back there and come up here. Right? Whereas if I told Terry to come up here, she would just start there and come up here. Right? Same place, different starting points. Right? It matters where you are for you to get where I'm telling you to be. Right? That's why you have maps on your phones. <laughs> right, does that make sense? You all get that? Okay. It matters where you are, who you are, what you're doing in order to receive a call, even if we are all called to the same place, okay? So it's critical. And that's critical for us to enter into an honest inventory. And so first I want us to take an honest look at the Corinthians. Paul is writing a letter to a particular church in a particular time. There are people in Corinth, okay? I don't know that much about them. I can't tell you that much about them. But apparently, they're a mixed bag who are doing a bunch of intriguing things, as we'll hear through this letter, okay? But what does he say to them? Consider your calling, brothers and sisters, in Corinth. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. In Greek, according to the flesh. Not many were wise, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. Not many of you were well educated, not many of you were well off, not many of you are well connected, not many of you are well born. Okay. These are not spiritual designations, these are material realities according to worldly standards, according to the flesh. That means some of them didn't read so good, okay, if at all. Some of them did not own their own bodies. Some of them had no rights. They were not citizens. They were not wealthy. They did not have connection with good families. They could be forced to a different time and place by those who controlled their land and controlled their families, okay? They did not have access to education, if at all, right? They did not have access to power. They certainly did not have access to good houses. Not many of you were well-off. Not all of you. Some of them apparently are. Otherwise, he would have said, None of y'all had this, right? Some of you do have this. Chloe, whose people have come to bring Paul word of things that are happening in the church, Chloe's people, that means her household. It could be a mix of her family. It's probably a mix of her servants. She has a house big enough to host people in her house. You have 100 people gathering in your house, you've got a big house, okay? And they didn't have suburbs, right? It wasn't like some people have no no no. If you have a house big enough to host a lot of people, you're well off, all right? Chloe is probably of noble birth and has access to power. All right? So there is a mixed group of people here that Paul is talking to. But he is telling everyone there to consider honestly the way that you were called. Right? Some of y'all were rich, some of y'all were poor. Some of you are well-off, some of you are not. Some of you are powerful and citizens. Not everyone was citizen back then, right? Some of you are not. Some of you are slaves. Some of you are free. Some of you are wealthy. Some of you are not. You see what I'm getting at? There's a mixed bag to this community. And for them to understand honestly what God is doing in the world and therefore to them, They need to be honest about where they came in and where they are. It would have been dishonest for Chloe to say, you're right, I'm not powerful of noble birth. That is not true. We're in your house, right? And how that relates to us, right? You cannot just immediately appropriate this passage. I can look out Can I say, honestly, not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are well-born. Some of that depends on what I mean, obviously. But as I think about it, most of you are pretty well-educated. I'm pretty well-educated. I have access to power. I'm a citizen of a very powerful country. I've never had to think about not having power. I'm maybe not like well born in the sense that I'm a Kennedy, right? But I wasn't born in a slum. I'm born with an assumption that I'm going to go to college. I'm born with the assumption that I have a right to go where I want and drive where I want and do what I'd like. So it would not be true or honest for us to just read this passage as if like, not many of us are wise according to worldly standards. False. Many of you are well-educated and wise according to worldly standards. Many of us are powerful. Many of us are well-born, certainly relative to the world. And so what's the point of that? Well, it's the same thing. If I make a call to Terry and I make a call to Buck, they both have to come from different places. Buck is going to have to walk farther than Terry's going to if I ask them both to come stand up here. Okay? These people have been called into one community from different places. We have been called into one community from different places. And to understand how God is enacting that calling and what God intends by that calling is going to depend on where we've started and where we are. Do we get that thus far? We've got to be honest. You've got to start with an honest inventory. Now, I know that individuals are also mixed bags, okay? Some of you might have a lot of money, but you grew up real poor, okay? Some of you might have a lot of money, and you're not that smart, Okay? Um, That wasn't, that wasn't, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, okay? I'm just saying, all right, right? We all have ways, there there is a mixed bag to this, right? I am strong by worldly standards. I can lift a lot of weight. A lot of my desire for strength comes out of a deep insecurity from my childhood because of things that happened to me that are very weakening. So what do we do with that, right? These are all valid questions. But Paul's not getting into those questions right now. He's just trying to point out that there's all these relative spectrums in the world where we kind of designate where people are on this spectrum. And you need to be honest about where you are and not spiritualize them. Material realities matter to God's calling. Okay? I'm also fascinated by the point... So you have a mixed bag... We have our different community, okay? So, in reality, here's how I'm going to read this to us. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Many of you are powerful, and many of you are well-born. Okay? That's how we're going to read this passage. Verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in his presence. We must be honest that that passage is going to read differently if you are wise than if you are foolish. That if you are strong, then if you are weak. God is the actor, not us. This is not a moral. We need to reckon honestly with what God is doing and reckon with us as we are. God chose what is foolish, moronic, stupid, unimpressive. God chose what is weak and insignificant, lowly, able to be ignored. He primarily did that by coming in Jesus Christ who died on the cross, as we just read last last week. The cross itself is weak and lowly and foolish. It's what you crucify criminals on to make a mockery of them. Jesus Christ, who is one with the eternal Father, the eternal Son of God in the eternal Trinity, humbled himself, becoming human. What kind of human? Like a servant What kind of servant? A very obedient one. Obedient unto what? Unto death. What kind of death? Death on a cross. Jesus embodied the foolishness and weakness and lowliness and despicability of the way that God came to be in the world. And through that, so that he could call, What is foolish and weak and lowly and despicable in the world? Guess who Jesus most resonated with when he was on the cross? The thief who was on the cross. Jesus came to be in solidarity with those who are also born in ill repute who are also born in the midst of genocide, who are also born in poverty, who are also lost and sick and despised. So it's not just that the cross is foolish and weak. It's that those who would identify with the cross, they're foolish and weak. That's why God chose a foolish and weak means to come and get them. If you're in a tight place and I want to come get you, I enter into a tight place, right? If I want to come identify with you in your suffering, I need to enter into your suffering. Jesus enters into the foolishness and weakness and suffering of the world. Why? To be one with them and to call them into a new kind of community, Sanctification and redemption and righteousness. Suffering is meaningless unless God would come and redeem it. And God has come to redeem it. Foolishness is of no value unless God would come to redeem it. Weakness is of no value unless God would come to redeem it and God has come to redeem it. And so by coming primarily to identify with those who in the world are the have-nots, he creates a new community, starting with those who would most be on the margins. He moves the center. So the foolishness of God is the cross. It's those he calls and identifies with by the cross, and it's the community that he is creating the people of God redeemed from every tribe and tongue and nation and place that is being formed by the cross, a cruciformed community. So that's what God is doing. That's what he promises to do. And how does he do it? He did it choosing the foolish, the weak, the low, the despised, Jesus all the time is saying, I go to the least of these. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. I go and I stop for the leper. I talk to the prostitute, right? He chooses them. He also, in so doing, shames those have and y'all I've been I've been spinning on this all past couple weeks right because this is a harsh thing and I know even in myself there's a bunch of rumblings that can start to happen here We all want to be in the in crowd until being told that the in crowd is actually not so good of a thing and the in crowd that's being talked about is the people that you're not usually with, and so then all these self-justifications start to come about of like, well, are you saying that I have to get rid of all my money, right? Like, what are you saying about my upbringing? I get that. Are you saying that my education isn't a good thing? Are you saying that my strength and my ability in the world isn't a good thing? I'm actually not saying that, but I just want us to honestly record with the passage that God said he's bringing his gospel by shaming those who have worldly success. That is a means of the cross. That is a means of the new community. When we put in a resume we think to put our best foot forward. The resumes of our lives that God knows more intimately than us will not be impressive to him in the way that it would be impressive to people in the world. That's what he's saying. If you came in to apply for like the CEO of some major company here, right, you're gonna think to put certain things on your resume. God's saying entry into his kingdom. It's not just that he doesn't care about those things. It's that I'm going to bypass those things. It's not just that I don't consider any of these things. I do consider them. I consider the one who has the worst resume. I consider the one who doesn't have any worldly means. It is humiliating. This keeps coming off my ear. Sorry, Joelle, I thought thought it was tight. There we go. Okay. It is humiliating to be bypassed. Some of you have been applying for jobs. I've applied for jobs. I haven't gotten jobs. It doesn't feel good. Some of you applied for schools recently. Does it feel nice to be turned down by a school? No, it does not. Okay. God is saying that the resumes we craft of our lives will get rejected insofar as they have good worldly means on them. And not because he thinks they are of no value. Not because they are bad. We're not saying that wisdom is bad. We're not saying that strength is bad. We're not saying that significance or rights or power is bad. We just read in Deuteronomy that God was blessing the people of Israel with a land that was going to be very advantageous to them. But in Christ, who comes via the cross, he is flipping things on their heads. This isn't a moral about what is good or bad. It's just an honest fact about what God is doing and how he will invite us into what he's doing is going to feel differently. It's going to be more humiliating the more success you have in this world than it is if you do not have success in this world, period. Our objective is to participate with what God is doing. And so here's the honest reckoning, right? If Jesus is coming out on the playground, right, to choose who he's going to choose for his team, what we're not saying is that God's not going to choose all whom he desires to bring in, the most popular kid from the least popular kid. Remember, this is a mixed bag of a community. But who he goes to first is going to be different. He doesn't go to the most popular kid first. He doesn't go to the second most popular kid. In fact, he doesn't go to any of the kids who have already been chosen to play kickball. He's around the corner talking to the kid who's crying by the wall. Okay? That's where he's going to start his team. And those who would like to be on Jesus' team are going to have to accompany Jesus where he is going. And that's going to be very disruptive and humiliating to the kid who was already doing really well on the kickball team. When Pope Francis goes and visits people in Buenos Aires that he was bishop of, he literally spends his time in the slums, going to birthday parties, visiting people, having tea. It's not that the wealthy and well-to-do people of Buenos Aires can't go with him, but that's where he's going. And so if they would like to know Pope Francis and the ministry of the church that is going on there, they have to accompany him to the slum. He's not going to their house. And honestly, if we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus is doing this, right? Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, comes and falls before Jesus to ask his help to heal his daughter. Jesus goes with him, but he does stop to heal the woman in the crowd. Jesus is going along to take invitations, but he stops to heal the leper. He stops to get down to the blind person and ask would you like me to do for you? And he does go to the Pharisee's house. He goes to the rich person's house. He tells harsh stories. He tells harsh stories there that he doesn't tell at the tax collector's house. He tells harsh stories there that he doesn't tell with the prostitutes that are gathered. Because there's a different starting point. There's a different starting point the ones who are wise and strong will have to humble themselves to tag along with Jesus because Jesus is not stopping where the strong and wise and rich and well-off are there is no contentment in worldly well-being to follow Jesus the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, the capital, the seat of religious and political power, where the wealthy have stored themselves with the kingdom of Israel, is meant to show forth its glory. And he goes up riding on a donkey. He only goes into the chief priest's house to be slandered. He only goes in to the king's house to be mocked, and he only goes into the governor's palace to be unjustly accused and tortured and sent to die. And all of that to go hang with a thief. The already humiliated thief on the cross is given access to paradise and presence with Jesus. It's going to take more for the centurion who is standing there with his spear. It takes a lot more for Pontius Pilate to come down and receive Jesus than it does the thief. Do you get what I'm saying? Those who are already humiliated in this life, Jesus comes to and promises redemption and exaltation. And those who are not humiliated in this life, Jesus also invites into exaltation. But you'll have to be humbled first. And again, this is not a, this is not a moral of contrivance to like kind of work up some sense of humility. It's not like God is standing afar judging us on like how humble we do this and that—it's just an honest reckoning. And that makes us very, it makes me insecure. Because I can't go back and undo the fact that I went to a good university. I can't change the fact that I'm a male and a generally male privileged society. I can't change the fact that I'm a citizen of the United States. I mean, I, well, I guess I could, but like, I, I was born that way, right? You see what I'm saying? Like, it's not about... I'm going to change all of these things. But it is a consideration to see God does not prioritize those things. And he does prioritize those who would not have those things. And if I would like to be with Jesus if I would like to see the fullness of the kingdom of God, if I would like to experience the fullness of the upside-down community that he is promising to build to the glory of God that no human being might boast, then I must go with him and spend time with the humbled. And that will be humbling to me. And so I suppose an application is first, really do take an honest inventory of your life. There are ways that you are weak. There are ways that you are strong. There are ways that you are foolish. There are ways that you are wise. But don't try to justify away from worldly standards. I think in an age where there's a lot of um, virtue signaling and, you know, idol bashing and people trying to take down the patriarchy and all these sorts of things. And, you know, I'm reckoning in this community there's probably a lot of bristling. That's okay. But you still might need to be honest about the fact that you have privileges because Jesus is going to be honest with you where you have privileges. And he goes to the unprivileged. And so do we want to justify ourselves? with theological constructs to make it seem like everything's equal? Do we want to try to justify ourselves to keep away from nagging voices or so that I can hold on to my things and my status? Or would we be willing to sort of be ashamed that God doesn't actually care about any of those self-justifications? And go and have relationship with those that he would have relationship with, the places that he's starting, the people who are foolish in the world, who are weak in the world, who are low and despised in the world. This is, in many ways, a call to relationship. Chloe had to be much more humiliated than the beggar on the street to be part of the church. Period. And I think insofar as she allowed herself to be humiliated, she experienced the exaltation, the righteousness, the sanctification, and the redemption of God. And the call is similar to us who would have in the world. What relationships are we willing to enter into with the least of these? What places do we go that we might be with the humbled the humiliated, the despised? What ways do we need to give up our senses of pride, our privileges, our possessions, in order to make those relationships happen? It will be a tax on your time, your wallet, your home, your ambitions. And we don't have to go on and say that any of those things are bad. You just have to give them up. (laughs) just like he says to the rich young man Jesus looked at him and loved him and then said give up all your possessions and sell them to the poor and then you can come with me not because that in itself is the cost to admission there's plenty of other people he didn't say that to it's because the man was too fat and he can't enter And Jesus would like you to be where he is. And you can't bring all those things. You can't hold on to your popularity if you're going to go sit in the dirt with the nerd who didn't get chosen. But Jesus is in the dirt with the nerd who didn't get chosen. So where do you want to be? That's the starting place of the new team. This is the starting place of the new community. Where are we holding on to worldly standards? Ask God to show you and ask God to show you what relationships you can enter into. Because this boasting, here I'm I'm concluding here, this boasting in weakness, we've we've heard Paul talk about that before, but I boast in my weakness. You can boast in your weakness, you have weaknesses. But some of you have a lot less weaknesses than others. And there are a lot of people in the world who have way more weaknesses. And if God is saying, I would go to them to exalt them, then the boasting in weakness needs to start to be a corporate command, not just an individual one. Who are the relationships that you have? Are you with those who have no worldly means of boasting? Go boast in their lives and what God is doing don't contrive to come up with weaknesses and foolishnesses in your life when you don't have as many. That's not what God is asking. He's asking that you go find the things that he's doing and boast in those. That will make you humble if you're spending less of your time thinking about yourself and more time thinking about what is God doing in this person's life. This foolish old woman can't read a lick and yet she knows more scripture than me, right? If we enter into this call to be in relationship with the least, we are entering into this call to be in relationship with Jesus. We are accepting the invitation that he's extending to us. Brothers and sisters, do not hide away from the fact that Jesus' invitation of the gospel will be humiliating to you. Do not justify yourself. No human being may boast in the presence of God in justification and hiding or boasting. But if you do that, he promises wisdom and redemption and sanctification, and righteousness, and the upside-down power of God to experience the great things that God is doing, where you could experience the cross as glory. You could experience death as resurrection. You could experience insecurity as freedom. You could experience dying in this life to eternal life if we let ourselves see what God is doing. I want that. And I'm asking myself, am I willing to be humiliated for it? Are you willing to be humiliated for it? Jesus hopes so. So Lord Jesus, give us strength from you, wisdom from you, to choose to follow you to seek you where you are among the least of these, to let you come to our weak and broken places and value them, to let you come to our high and exalted places and ignore them. Let us be humiliated with you that we might be exalted with you. Open our eyes to see the relationships among us in our communities that would be the avenue of this new cruciform community that you are building. Please, we need you to do this among us. Convict us by your Holy Spirit, I pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.